0: This is Rio Pesino with another Bearing Point podcast. My guest today is Jaime Garza, who is a senior business advisor with Bearing Points. Jaime, thanks for joining me today on this podcast. Thank you, Rio. Uh, Jaime, the topic we will discuss is, is one that affects us all, and, and that's today's U.S. interest rate environment. Uh, changing interest rates, uh, they can impact personal savings accounts uh, and, and other financial services. But they've also started to have an impact in new ways, especially for midsize and larger institutions. Uh, how has the current interest rate environment actually affected commercial banks' profitability uh, as well as pricing?
1: Well, let, let's, let's talk a little bit about statistics. Um, if we look at the U.S. interest rate environment in general, it has undergone various cycles through the last decade. And last year, since the mortgage and credit crisis began things like term liquidity for institutions has risen and is very high. You know, term liquidity is, is typically defined as the, the difference between the swap, swap markets and the, the note markets, so, so effectively what institutions can borrow at given their credit rating. And, for example, an A-rated institution, the current five-year term liquidity is about 178 basis points as compared to ranges in the 20 to 30 basis points from years 2003 to 2006. Uh, double A-rated institutions five-year uh, term liquidity is currently about 100 basis points, as compared to negative two or 20 basis points from 2003 to 2006. So, some of our double A-rated in U.S. institutions actually, in, in some cases, could borrow at rates less than what the swap markets were, which which uh, was a very good good thing. And uh, now they can't. So, that's part of the issue, and. I think for today's discussion, I want to use one example, uh, one sector as an example, commercial and commercial real estate lending. So if we look at March 2008 and we look at banks reporting the FDIC, 19% of the loans outstanding were owned by banks that are less than a billion dollars, so more your community-based institutions. Another 185 19% were owned by banks that are between $1 and $10 billion in asset size. And the remaining 60 percent are owned by banks over ten billion so the very large banks own about two-thirds of the balances they do however compete against smaller institutions so even though they own many of the balances they compete against smaller and mid-sized institutions and the way all these institutions price is different you know for example there is a wall street or a capital markets view of pricing and there is the competitor across the street view of pricing. There, there are two markets. Uh, you know I always use the analogy of uh, like salary ranges. There's a market where I can actively go out and seek employment at two different organizations and get the benchmark there. Or there's typically benchmarks that are produced by HR. One of the issues is that these institutions, the larger institutions and, and mid-sized institutions compete against the community based institutions and they typically price differently. Uh, Larger institutions typically price on more of a capital markets view or a large competitor across the street view, and smaller institutions typically just price to what other competitors are doing. In recent times, before this crisis began, the, the difference between the two, the spread, was very narrow, so it didn't really matter, but those Basis point increments and, and spreads I mentioned before have made it more difficult for larger institutions to price transactions on a profitable basis, given their credit rating, cost structures, et cetera, et cetera. Another key statistic I want to talk about is net interest margin after loan loss provisions. So net interest margin is defined as, you know, the, what an institution earns in interest income divided by the earning assets it has on hand. If I look from the years of 2004 to 2006, the, um, the difference between that interest margin before any provision or expenses for expected loan losses, uh, the difference was about, in, in sectors uh, under a billion, a billion to 10 billion, and greater than 10 billion, were about 20 to 35 basis points. So, eh, you know, not, not, not a wide difference. Beginning in 2007 through March of 08 those spreads have widened. For example, the smaller institutions, theirs have widened, but not as much. They've gone from about 22 basis points to 30 basis points on average. Uh, For institutions between a billion and 10 billion, they've gone from about 25 basis points to almost 60, so they've doubled. And the very large institutions, they've seen that spread triple. So it is affecting their margin, which is, is a direct impact on, on profitability, um, again, a big part of this issue.
0: How are leading practice institutions addressing profitability and pricing because of this specific issue?
1: Those that are on the, uh, using leading practices have a multidimensional and attribute-based analytics and reporting on historical and forward-looking basis. So they have repositories containing reconciled single view of multidimensional profitability and performance instead of multiple arbitrary versions. Um, There's there's consistency in their methodologies uh, around cost allocations, funds transfer pricing, capital attribution, revenue sharing. They're consistent and also economically based. Uh, The information and tools are actively and not passively used to manage and monitor performance across the entire organization, whether it starts with a relationship manager or a branch or a certain line of business, all the way to the, to the top of the house, things are viewed cons- consistently and the tools are used consistently. Um, they have the ability to be proactive or at least react quickly to, to changing economic factors and customer behavior. That's one of the common complaints we're seeing right now from institutions that, that aren't, utilizing leading practices is they can't react to market changes quickly. The institutions also have the ability to understand how changes in their methodologies, changes in credit ratings, cost structures, will affect their short and long-term results because these tools enable that type of analysis at a very macro or micro-based view. Uh, They also have the ability to determine how narrow or negative current short-term value can shift from positive value. So for example, I may look at putting on a transaction today because of the interest rate environment, it may have a negative spread. But I need to look at that in the context of what other transactions does this client have? Is this a new client, an existing client? What is the total share of wallet? What what other business am I doing with this client? And those institutions that have these tools and technology are able to see that, fairly quickly and make a determination about either taking on the transaction or passing on the transaction.
0: Jaime, walk me through some of the regulatory and external reporting requirements.
1: Well, Basel II, of course, has been the largest regulatory requirement in recent years, but it it really affects some of the larger institutions in the U.S. and globally. Now, that is certainly key with this issue because one of the key requirements with Basel II is that the that you use a reconciled set of information that you use for both this regulatory requirement and management reporting. In light of the credit and liquidity issues over the past year, some of the regulatory reports submitted, for example, to the FDIC and OTS, have already undergone major additions over the last year. If I look at uh, June of '08 and March of '08 reporting, there's been a significant add to things around Fair Valley reporting, more information about loan structures, uh, just a lot more data that the regulators use to assess safety and soundness of organizations. There are also several committees in Congress right now that are tasked with determining how to prevent a crisis like this in the future. And of course, time that occurs, there's going to be more regulation, more reporting required. Equity analysts are also asking more detailed and pointed questions as evidenced by analyst call transcripts that we have analyzed this year. You know, we've actually recently seen several institutions react to analyst and regulatory scrutiny by commencing a full full review of their corporate performance uh, measurement structure and process. The current buzz is that SEC segment reporting and other uh, regulatory reporting will continue to grow. You know, the the SEC segment reporting, while not as... as, um, it's more open to what an institution wants to do for its internal management reporting, we're kind of seeing that as finance and risk converge, there's going to be more structure with that reporting. Um, of course, that remains to be seen, um, but the current buzz is that it is going in that direction.
0: Jaime, mean, talk about some of the key steps for those institutions wishing to enhance their information.
1: Okay, I think a key step is, is, the first step is easy. It's a traditional gap assessment. So you want to benchmark where you're currently at against what leading practices are, and the way you view your business, your customers, and your competitors. Uh, There's going to be a lot of common elements across institutions, but there are also things that are unique in certain segments. Uh, For example, you'll have commercial banks uh, that have large commercial and retail areas. You'll have some commercial banks that are more commercially focused, some that are more retail focused. You have some institutions that are more fee-based. So you have to look at it not only your organization, your clients, your market, but kind of your segment. Also, lead with the business requirement first. Then determine where technology fits into the picture to enable this business need. Uh, look at performance measurement and management holistically. Then determine how to segment and stratify key areas requiring immediate needs. For example, you might have a commercial lending unit that is in dire need of information right now, whereas your retail sector is, is has is doing fairly well with the information it has too many institutions make a mistake of identifying one area focusing on the net area not considering how it's going to affect the entire organization and then end up with a lot of rework later so i think a key uh, one of the key steps again is to look at it holistically across the entire organization then determine specific areas you can address and have quick wins you know our mantra has always been you know, think big, deliver quickly, you know, chunk up projects in, you know, three to six-month en- uh, increments, and, and deliver value quickly.
0: Are there any other benefits that can be expected from the enhanced information and data?
1: So if I look back at institutions in, in you know, in the mid-90s and, and going into, into 2000 that w- had brought in these repositories and had instrument level and multidimensional profitability when BASIL II and other requirements came to be and, and FASB pronouncements, they had a lot of the information. They were pretty much ready for it. They maybe t- made some extensions to their data models, uh, added a couple of things. But for the most part, they were ready. So one of the key benefits is being ready for the next regulation or requirement that, that, that comes. Again, another, another benefit is just is the ability to react quickly. To market changes or be proactive. Now, we, we know many organizations are very reactive, but those that are able to react quickly and have the tools to determine if I do this, if I do this, if this happens or that happens, what, what is going to happen to my profitability at both a product or a segment or a total corporate level. Um, so again, it's, it's having that information readily available and timely.
0: Explain how BearingPoint specifically meets these needs.
1: Since the mid-90s, BearingPoint has been involved in multiple corporate performance measurement initiatives and financial institutions. And we've approached these in various ways. If we look at our delivery framework, we have uh, had some engagements where we focus more on the strategy and the design. We've had others that we have come in after that has been done. And we have built a uh, the solution, delivered the end solution, and interpreted the results and then we've had those and, and there have been several that have been end to end so we start with the strategy and the design, the build the test, and then we deploy it and 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 interpolate uh, interpret sorry and we interpret the results uh that is a, a key part of of our approach is that bearing point typically has teams that are both very functionally and very technically rich that work well together. I don't think any of these implementations would have been successful had we not had those team structures together. We, we not only bring the business knowledge, we bring the technical knowledge, and we also bring certain resources that have a conjunction of both, uh, both technical and business knowledge.
0: I mean, where can listeners go to learn more about this?
1: First place, of course, I, uh, if someone wants to learn a little bit more is to go to our website. There are key contacts in the, in the uh, various segments that can uh, approach any of the delivery and solution uh, resources. Um, so that, that's where I would uh, first and foremost go to find out more uh, more information and get more information.
0: Jaime Garza is a senior business advisor with BearingPoint. Jaime, appreciate uh, you joining me on this podcast and thanks a lot for your time.